You're listening to Farm to Table. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Farm to Table, a farm and food systems podcast coming to you from Fayetteville, North Carolina. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Tabor. Welcome to Farm to Tabor. Today we have guest Meg Brown, a rancher in North Central California. She also tweets about farm stuff under the handle at MegRayB, link in the episode notes. And she's made kind of a ruckus on farm Twitter because she's pretty open about her experiences with things in the ag community that the ag community doesn't like to talk about, like sexism and mental health. <gasps> Escandalo! This episode has everything. Mental health on the farm, military PTSD, how misogyny hurts a farm's own bottom line, gold digging, a two-headed calf, and more. We're also going to come full circle with something from episode one. The family farm with the Kestrels is back. This time, we're talking about some other aspects of what made that farm tick so hard, like solid interpersonal relationships. Content advisory. This episode closes out with disgusting livestock stories. So if that's not your thing, or if you've got kids in the car who just read Charlotte's Web, don't worry, they're at the end of the episode, and you can hear them coming for a while before they start, so go ahead and just stop the episode, and there's nothing afterwards that you're going to miss. And if that is your thing, today's your lucky day. So let's start it off with some of your experiences. You, uh, you're one of the folks on Ag Twitter who's a little bit more vocal about sexism being a thing. And, and you, you learned some stuff just through that experience. Tell us a little more. I did. I learned a whole lot. Um, I had a recent experience where I called out um, a man that was, you know, I'm going to use the term mansplaining to a woman. She was, you know, trying to tell her story and he was totally invalidating her and taking over the narrative. Mm -hmm. And uh, wrongly, also, he was giving false information. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> surprise. It happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I used the term. And um, it kind of started this big, long drama for me. And I learned a lot. And I had to kind of educate myself about feminism because, like, that, I mean, it's, it, it is my wheelhouse, and it's something I have been paying attention to for a long time. But I feel like, um, you know, there's a lot of new terms I wasn't familiar with, like intersectional feminism and all this stuff. Yeah. So it has just snowballed for me. And boy, have I learned a lot. <laughs> right, yeah. Practical experience. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, it's really interesting because, again, uh, we're coming from really different places in the agricultural world. Um, I think a lot of folks kind of think of it happening as like, you know, Farmer Bob gets up, Farmer Bob does things. But agriculture is really like a big, it's a network. You know, there's there's farmers okay. and there's also like other folks. So you're um, you're actually in a farming family uh, running the family farm, which is, I think, how a lot of people are used to thinking of agriculture. So, um, but in a different context, I think, than folks are used to thinking of that working. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's weird because I... I think, you know, about my peers, my immediate peers, and I can only think, like, one or two other women that are even, you know, close to what I'm doing, and, and I think most of them have brothers. Yeah. So, you know, I am taking over this ranch. It's a sixth, I'm the sixth generation, yeah. and I, I, I get that, you know, I'm still, I'm still novel, and people still see me as, like, this little kid, so, I, you know, mm -hmm. I get that, but... Um, yeah, like you said, ag, ag isn't just farmer Megan. It's, you know, it's, it encompasses a whole lot. And I think people forget that. And they think, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. <laughs> yeah. And then like, I'm kind of in a different position within that network, which is like, I'm a number one, I'm in the produce industry, which is a whole different animal than, than livestock. Um, <laughs> but I'm, and I'm also actually, I work, do a lot of food safety work. So I'm, I'm not a farmer. Um, mm -hmm. but I work really closely one-on-one -on -one with like, hundreds of farmers um yeah and we need you like yeah and that's the thing we're all interconnected like you were saying yeah and like uh i'm kind of like the opposite of the pizza delivery guy like people are always like angry to see you <laughs> that's, um, you know what that's actually very true <laughs> yeah it's like we, we know who we are it's we know where we live in, in this grand scheme of things um but it's kind of funny because you know you're only with people for like a day or maybe two but you get really up at their business on that day or two. And like, you also kind of hope it's the most stressful day of the year because it is stressful. And if there's a day that's worse, like that's not good. Um, yeah. So you're, I think in a lot of ways, kind of seeing people at their worst, which is not the most flattering light. 
Um, it doesn't show everything about a person, but it does show you a lot. How people respond to stress kind of tells you a lot about them. So uh, That's so true. Yeah, we get some interesting insights, I think, sometimes. And uh, obviously, you always dwell on negative things. But I just want to say, before we start telling terrible stories about things that happened, um, there are some really cool farmers that I've managed to run into who I've learned a lot from. So that does exist. And, and now we'll talk about the terrible things. <laughs> Okay, let's go there. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Uh, let's see. I feel like I want to ask you some questions first. Because again, like you being from a farm family and doing the family farm, you're kind of coming from a place that's a little bit more relatable for people. So um, that's kind of from your end is a good way to start some discussions. Um, but I also don't want to like, get you in trouble by having you say stuff about your neighbors? <laughs> no, you know, I think at this point, my neighbors know who I am, and they've all heard it before, and we're That's all fair. aware of it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not that active within my local ag community itself. It's just, yeah. um, I've kind of always been the odd man out, like, and that's just my thing, just who I am. And, and, and because of that, I have kind of a unique perspective in my own industry, and I do look at things in a different way. Yeah. And some people like that and some don't. Um, but I, I think a lot of people come, have you know, told me that it's just it's a unique perspective and they do enjoy it um, because it does give them a new point of view. Yeah. So, so there. I don't, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, neighbors, for that. Everybody has contributed. You've raised me. So that's good and bad, I guess. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, I feel like something that's a very common theme, and, and less so in the produce industry in California, because in the, in the produce industry in California, it's just a very different... But you go pretty much anywhere else in the country, and I think in other sectors of ag, um, the farmers who are like really kind of running a really tight shop and uh, I guess just running a tight ship um, tend to be a little more socially isolated. Um, and that's that's the impression that I get as kind of a third party observer who works a lot in ag. But you know, like uh, we'll work in farm communities where everybody's really tight with each other, and the farmers are kind of like. Eh. And then there's one or two farmers that nobody else really talks to, and they're, like, running a really tight ship. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I could see that yeah. um, for various reasons. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because, you know, obviously I don't live in these communities, but you kind of look at this situation and you're like, hmm, I wonder how this plays out at, like, Wednesday night church events. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, so, I don't yeah. know. You know, ag's a weird culture. Um I love it, and I'm very passionate about it. But it is a, it is a weird, different beast. Yeah. Um, let's see. Shoot. Uh, do you want to hear some auditing stories? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. This is this is produce. So here's a weird thing that has happened, like to the letter almost, in very different ag communities, like in very different parts of the U.S. So, so something that'll happen if you travel around the country doing ag stuff is you're like, hey, mm -hmm. every region's got its personality. They kind of got their own thing. But here's a thing that has been, like it's one isolated farm in multiple regions has been like this. It's like, are you guys like from this, like just right out of the same mold, right? Um, okay. <laughs> you go in for the audit, right? And I think you've kind of addressed this is sometimes you'll have farms where like, you know, the wife is like helping with the books and she helps with the invoices and she helps out in the office with the payroll and she helps with orders and she helps with that and, you know, this and all these other things. And there comes a point when you go, she's running the business. She's running the entire yeah. business. And he just drives a tractor. You're doing chores for your wife, Earl. Uh <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. No. Yeah. No, we see that constantly. And yeah. every once in a while, yeah. you'll get a farm where it's really, really bad. Okay, so you'll sit down with them and, they've, you know, everybody's kind of got their records in a binder, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And it's either the wife or a grown-up kid. You know, like if the if the farmer <laughs> themselves is an older dude, it's either the wife or the kid, you know, who's taking care of it. And you'll sit down with him and her, you know, if, if she's mm -hmm. taking care of the records. And I'll go, you know, the first question is... You know, do we have a map of the farm? You know, because for traceability, you need to know like which block you're talking about, and and for produce, you have to use that anyway, just for like scouting and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So we have the same thing in, in livestock. We're dealing with with the fires right, right. now. So yeah, yeah, a fire you're like, there's a fire yeah. in quadrant thirteen. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, how are you supposed to say it? You know, like so you you got your farm divided up into blocks and whatever, and uh, you want to have a map just so like I didn't grow up here, I don't know where anything is. So if you say you know block twelve, I just need to be able to point to something and go like, oh. It's over there um, and, and traceability and all that. So that's the first question. And, uh, and the guy, you ask the guy, cause it's very clear, just body language and just, uh, you know, 
gestalt wise that he's the person in charge and she's there to help out in the office uh-huh. right so you ask him do we have a map and he'll just stare back at you like a dumbstruck right um like i've actually had jaws drop <laughs> before and it's like okay um and, and there's this awkward pause for like a long time and then the wife she's kind of at the elbow and she kind of like you know bump him on the elbow and go oh isn't that here in page one Ed? um <laughs> And, and and he goes, oh, yes, it's on page one. And the next question, same exact thing. And these, you know, to get through an audit, like we often have multiple ones per day. And okay. so these are questions that should take about 15 seconds. Like they're really not that complicated, I want to say. Like I do this all the time, but I don't yeah. see, is there a map of your farm as being a complex question, right? No, um, no, it's a pretty common thing. My mom and I know where they're at. <laughs> yeah. And then you ask him and he's just like dumbstruck, right? Um, and yeah. mm-hmm. it should be a 15 second question and it winds up taking like 35 seconds because of the theater that is going on here. Um, like there's this whole back and forth. You got to ask him and then it's got to be a pause and then she's got to help him. And then he's going to be like, Oh, I got it. And he has to go find it, but he can't find it even after he's told him. So she's got to go find it. So everything takes like four times as long because of this like misogyny theater. Um, yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful term for it. Yeah. And then, you know, the farms that have this going on are always really small and really struggling financially. And you look at how it takes them a really long time to execute a basic question in an audit. And you think, Hmm, I wonder why this farm is struggling. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, Uh There's a lot of discussion within the sustainable food movement about how farms are really challenged by policy and by blah, 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 and all these external forces. Um, And when you work personally with farms, and I'm sure you've seen this, uh, you see a lot of internal challenges as well that don't really get addressed by that. And so we kind of have this food movement and people kind of like trying to make food policy when they don't understand what the hiccups are on farms. And they kind of like, yes, there are external challenges, but, you know. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because even on Twitter, like when you, because I follow a lot of different people within ag, you have the policy people and, you know, they're talking we're trying to talk together, but a lot of times we're, we're talking at each other and we're not really understanding each other. And you just totally nailed that. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, again, it's been a really interesting perspective because obviously I don't work on farms. There's a lot of the day-to-day stuff. Like I don't really know how to fix a tractor. I can kind of drive one. Right. Um, but in terms of fixing one, I don't, I, I don't have someone else. That's to hard. Drive, right? no, we, have, we have a guy for that too. So right. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. 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 Um, that's a specialized skill and it's not the thing that I do. Um, but in terms yeah. of kind of getting a vibe of like how farms work, like there's common modes of dysfunction. So that's one where I've seen that in like the upper Midwest. I've seen that in Washington, like very widely separated areas, um, okay. but united by misogyny. Um, <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So it's, I mean, you just kind of look at stuff like that and there's also, um, like kind of a one-to-one correlation between farms that where the, you know, the management is all white and mm-hmm. uh, the crew is, is all, you know, immigrants. Um, yeah. Versus... You notice that when you're in California driving up and down, because I've been traveling a lot the past couple of days and there have been crews out planting tomatoes yeah. and the crews are all Mexican mm-hmm. and the, um, the boss guy white, driving yep. in, the, in the air-conditioned Dodge is a white. Yeah, and in California, it's actually a lot less pronounced than other areas. Um, <laughs> there's there's a lot going on there, but it's it's less pronounced in California than it is in other areas. But you'll you'll find places where not even the field crew, but like within a packing house. Um, whereas there's also operations where people get promoted based on skill as opposed to like demographic qualifications. Um, and financially, they're a lot more successful. Like the farms and the packing houses with all white management, um, really, in my experience, tend to struggle more and just kind of have a harder time. Um, obviously, the audit is a small part of the overall operation, but there's uh-huh. but you get a pretty good idea of what's going on. Yeah, you, if they're struggling with business. yeah, if they're struggling with that, like food safety actually has a lot to do with your general operational integrity. If you can't hold together yeah. food safety, it's because you can't hold your business together. Period. And so you get a pretty good view of like who's struggling and who's succeeding, and it's. It, the ones where there's a huge demographic divide between labor and management, like any business, tend to struggle a lot. Um, so that's been really interesting. Like, there's all kinds of conversations about demographics that need to happen in ag. 
Um, and it's, it's hard for us to have those conversations. We don't like to have those conversations. And I was just talking about the census. Like, we don't, even within, like, the, our little ad groups online, you know, yeah. we encourage each other to lie about that. And it's oh, nice. awful because we need those numbers. Wait, so tell me, like, what what, uh, what lies are we, are we pushing here? Oh, like, okay, so I actually wrote a blog about it um, a while ago, okay. and it's just like, you know, don't tell them, you know, just like blatant, don't tell stuff. It's none of their business, because mm-hmm. it's the government, and that's yeah. how ag looks at it. Yeah. And they don't realize, you know, that impacts funding that's going to come back and help them directly. Yeah. They just, they, they don't follow the, 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 the lines or the dots. Yeah. Yeah, that's a classic. I, I knew some folks who... um we're getting a lot of like political phone calls, you know, like polling and stuff. Uh-huh, and so uh-huh. they're like, we're going to mess them up. We're just going to lie. And um, they started getting more and more and more political polling because it turns out what happened is they turned up in the statistical model is like really variable bellwether, like swing voters. <laughs> and they started getting more and more and more and more phone calls and they just freaked out, gave up and like tore out their landline. I was like, y'all kind of, you know, I, I get where you're coming from. We don't like to get random phone calls, but uh, y'all kind of did that one to yourself. Yeah, so. yeah. It's, it's, it does that again and again. We love to shoot ourselves in the foot, it feels yeah, like. I don't yeah. know. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. And it's it's funny because there's this whole conversation happening around food with people who aren't in the food business. Uh-huh. And what they know about the food business, really, because they're not on a farm, comes from marketing, fundamentally. Um, uh-huh. You know, you have you have a lot of farms with an opinion. We all have one. It's fine. Um, but the folks... <laughs> Yeah, it seems like the folks who are loudest are the ones who often struggle the most with actually doing the business. And so that's what people know is like loudmouths who aren't necessarily great at running the business. I feel like that happens a lot Um, Uh because you hear a lot of discussion and then you actually go and look at farms and there's at least in produce, um, people are eating more produce. Right. So it's a fantastic time to be in the produce business like sales are growing, um, but you can only capture that if you're like good at it and, and, you know, can are competent at making sales, right? Uh-huh. Um, if you're the kind of person who struggles with returning a phone call, which a lot of, you know, a lot of folks are, then you're not going to be able to capture that and you're going to struggle. Um, and then they talk about how we're having a hard time and that gets translated in the public sphere as farmers are having a terrible time. We need to change policy. And I'm like, no, people need to learn how to answer the phone. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's, there's some Absolutely. interesting... Yeah, there's some interesting disconnects there um, that can result in policy that doesn't necessarily help build food systems in the way that people want to build them. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I it's like interesting. I'm... It's just, it's, but I, you know, I know ag isn't the only industry that, that struggles, but. Oh, they all do that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the thing that's unique about ag is that like people really feel like it's pristine and pure and it's not like that. Whereas in fact, it, it is just like any other industry. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's the hero complex, you know? Yeah. It's and, like, yeah, it's the green acres, you know, that it's, we, yeah, the, put the farmer on the pedestal, thank a farmer, which Ag loves to do too, Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, when, when like any other industry, you know, complains about something is going to cause us problems, people take it with a grain of salt because it's an industry trying to, to you know, preserve gains for itself, right? But when it comes yeah. to agriculture, we're all like, oh, we've got to save those farmers, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, and, and yes, there is bad policy out there. Um, but again, at the same time, when the focus is strictly on policy, as opposed to like, you know, here are things that a business can do to make its life better. Um, and that's completely ignored. Then we have some problems. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Even it's just like basic stuff like mental health, you know, it's yes. just now becoming something we can talk about in agriculture. I mean, now it's, it's not a dirty secret. Yes. That's what and we were going to talk about today. I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> Well, now that we've opened it up, um, so I guess let's let's have you kind of do a quick opener on your experience, kind of dealing with conversations about mental health and agriculture. Um, how's that been working? Yeah, out? you know, I started a couple years, actually more than a couple of years ago. It's been like about eight or nine. Um, I, I had terrible anxiety, and I mean, it, every time I, lo- I left the ranch, it was like I vomit and just panic attacks and it wasn't it was yeah it was awful it wasn't a great way to live um and I started going to therapy and at at the same time I was on social media and I had a really great circle of friends that were really supportive so I started sharing about it and the more I shared about it more people would dm me and say you know do you have the number of of a therapist or whatever and I realized I wasn't alone yeah 
yeah, and that really helped. And, and, and I just kept talking about it and talking about it and more people, it normalized it within kind of like my sector of ag. And now I feel like it's like blossomed out. Oh, that's great. The uncrazy yeah. is, is blossoming. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it is wonderful because, you know, I'm, I know I'm not alone here. I can think of four or five people in the ag world, production ag that have, have um, died by suicide. Mm-hmm. And, um, I feel like that's an awful lot for just this little industry. Yeah, it it is kind of a lot. Um, I don't want to say this is nice, but something that is nice, I guess, about being a person with PTSD who's living in a military community. Um, So a quick aside, I live in Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is home of Fort Bragg, the world's largest military installation by number of people. Um, And I'm a civilian. I have PTSD anyway. It happens. Um, Yeah, yeah. But... uh, (laughs) Things happen. Um, But the really cool thing about living in a military community, obviously, there's some struggles. We got some, you know, poverty and it's it's like 60,000 soldiers running around. They like to make this shit sometimes. It's a lot. Wow, sorry, that just blew my mind. Yeah, it's that's a lot of soldiers. Anyway, um, but the cool thing about living in a military community um, is that at this point, PTSD is pretty well understood. It's it's kind of funny because you talk to a lot of veterans maybe who had it earlier before it wasn't that well understood. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still not perfect, right? But especially the guys from back in the day are like, you know, really isolated and, and kind of upset about it. Because um, in a lot of ways with mental health, it's really the isolation of having the problem more than the problem itself that's, that messes you up, right? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but now, like, post-9-11 veterans are a very different animal. Um, mm-hmm. and that's a, a group that's really kind of more, uh, I think educated and kind of understanding of that mental health exists. Um, so it's kind of funny, like everybody in town has PTSD. It feels like sometimes like, <laughs> um, like obviously a, a lot of veterans like don't have that experience. Um, but even with, with post nine eleven veterans, uh, it's, it's not, at least with the folks that I hang out with in town, it's not really stigmatized whether you have it or whether you don't. Um, Cause it can almost get it's judgy. Awesome. Yeah. It's almost like it can yeah. get judgy in the other direction. Like what that didn't traumatize you. What's wrong with you? Um. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's, <laughs> that's so foreign to me, but you know, wow. All right. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> you're okay. That's with a good that? place to get to. I feel like. <laughs> well, you're like, you were okay with that. What's wrong with you, man? Um, but yeah, there's uh I think, like, even if everybody doesn't have it, everybody knows somebody who does. Um, yeah. And so, you know, sometimes you're working with somebody in town and they're just having a terrible day and you're like, oh, Hank, like, they're, they're just really acting out. And you're like, oh, are you having a moment? Okay, go go have your moment. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll catch back up with you. When's a good time? Okay, catch you later. Um, there's just kind of an oh, under- that's so healthy, though. That's I feel like that's so good. Yeah. Like, I can't tell you how beneficial that would be when, like, for example, um, my dad has like having a come apart in a corral for a, full of cattle, and I could be like, oh, "You nice. need to excuse yourself, sir." Yeah, just just yeah. take a moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. If I did that now; it'd throw a rock at me. I mean, that's where we're at. So, right. Yeah. yeah. You go give the cows a moment. I think the cows need a moment. You know? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's so. it's it's kind of understood that people just kind of freak out sometimes, and 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 that's cool. And y'all, it's, it's kind of a waste of time, but we're gonna get through it. Um, yeah. 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 So again, that might just be something that is, you know, the group of people that I kind of tend to be around. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's folks in town who don't deal with it very well. Um, but yeah. because it's been such a thing in the military community, like people at least know what it is. Um, and uh, I kind of tell people like, I finally get invited to the parties where people are smoking marijuana. <laughs> 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 but it's not like the fun kind. It's veterans treating their PTSD because they're in a crowd and freaking out. Um, <laughs> You're like, do you have a back room? Um, I'm going to go vape. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because um, PTSD has existed for a very long time. Um, but outside the context of war, typically how people get it is like child abuse or sexual assault, right? Uh-huh. Um, and so those are situations where the victims are typically not believed. Um so kind of like veterans kind of get this thing where they're told to just be tough and get over it. Uh, sexual assault and child abuse victims are not believed. And so you kind of have that thing where there's this rupture between you and everyone else around you. And that's the part that's really damaging. Yeah. Um, and it's also vic- the victim blaming um, yeah. for rapists, being raped and that. And I, I see that a lot um, yeah. on Twitter right now. And it's, it's, it's upsetting. Yeah. 
And um, so the the veteran community has actually done a lot to kind of forward mental health in a lot of ways, just by talking about PTSD and like the fact that it exists and it doesn't make you a wiener. Um, yeah, because we, we perceive you guys as, or, um, you know, our armed forces as like the ultimate manly men. I mean, we are culturally we have, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, fun fact, for that reason, the military is super gay because some, you know, like... <laughs> bears in training are into that and for a lot of like trans women it's kind of like all right you know what i'm gonna try this manly thing i did the military and if it doesn't work out for me here i just know i tried and i'm gonna live I my life as a lady that. yeah the military is hella gay um thank you for sharing That's you're awesome. welcome yeah and you know there's there's like yeah there's a lot of like gay ladies here as well so the the local lgbt scene is really nice because um yeah there's just there's just a lot of people here which is fantastic um, that's great. Yeah. Inclusive is, is fun and it makes a better lifestyle, I think. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of funny because yeah. that's not something you typically associate with a big Southern military town. Um, no, no, not at all. <laughs> but yeah, like because of VA loans, like getting mortgages for, for black folks has been historically a, a real problem and a big access crunch point. And because of the VA and, and veterans getting loans, we haven't had that as much here. So there's a really strong like historical black middle class that's been around for a while. So that's a, a cool thing that the military has brought. Um, yeah to the town this is fascinating thank you it's really cool yeah Yeah, military towns work out kind of different than than folks kind of think i think sometimes um but back to mental health um i'm sorry sorry. yeah yeah, okay oh no you're fine my town's kind of cool yeah, uh, no, I'm digging it. I want to go visit now. Yeah, and there's there's tons of people who know how to maintain equipment really well. So I'm like, come to agriculture. Um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, so the mental health thing, it's it's kind of funny because, you know, obviously some folks in military are, are kind of more accepting of mental health as a concept than others. And uh-huh. the folks who seem to have a really hard time with dealing with the fact that mental health problems exist are kind of the more macho dudes. Um, and I have a theory. Could be wrong, but kind of a, a unified theory of mental health, right? Um, <laughs> that like, you Wait know, on me. I'm ready. I'm if, ready. Yeah, if you join the military because you're like, I'm a macho dude and I want to go do macho dude stuff, um, and then you wind up not liking it, you know, <laughs> or it winds up being not as cool as as you were told. Because I think in a lot of ways we're really kind of glorify violence because we it's an all-volunteer army and that's kind of what our country does is we're the world's policeman so to make that work we kind of have to make people join armies voluntarily and to make that work we just kind of have to think shooting is fun <laughs> well that i mean our yeah. culture reinforces that right yeah in a lot of ways and there's a lot of reasons yeah. but that's one of them you know possibly yeah um, oh, I, I like that yeah, yeah, so if you get into the military for that reason, there's there's a lot of reasons to join the military. That's just one of them, but it, yeah, it happens, yeah. right? Um, yeah, absolutely. But if you kind of go in with the idea that this is kind of awesome, and then you find out that it's not awesome, um, not only are you doubting yourself, like I was, you know, I was going to be a tough dude, and I find out I'm not a tough dude, but also maybe I was lied to some about what is, you know, what awesome looks like, right? Um, yeah, maybe yeah. I was kind of told some lies with toxic masculinity. Um, and I think that can be a big rupture point for a lot of people. Cause again, the veteran community is not the only community that has a lot of PTSD. There's, you know, people who are abused as kids. Um, most, you know, I don't want to say most maybe, but a lot of women have PTSD cause there's so much sexual assault happening. Um, Absolutely. and a lot of guys will get that and you can't admit that, um, because nobody wants to admit being sexually assaulted, and there's especially some stigma for dudes. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Being a victim is not okay in our society, it yeah, feels like. It's not cool, that's, right? That's been something that's been slung at me, like, as a pejorative, like, yeah. often, when I talk about sexism. Yeah. So, like, no, it's, it's a thing yeah. that happens when people are, are bad to you, and it has consequences, so, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. the other thing is, um, because we have, you know, some racial violence in this country. Um, just a whisper. Uh, yeah, just a just touch. Uh, Uh if you, you know, when you grow up knowing that people are looking at you differently and that can end your life, um, that can cause some anxiety and some trauma as well. Right. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And especially, yeah, if you have one of those experiences. And so there's a lot of folks in this country dealing with traumatic stress of some degree or another. Right. Um, and then veterans finally join that number when they're adults. So like a lot of folks, I think kind of enter their traumatic experiences really early in life. 
And so you don't always know different. You're like, this is normal. It's just normal to feel weird when you walk into this situation. You're like, my, I can feel my soul lifting out of my body right now. Um, we think that's normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you know, I think you're right because when I started getting therapy as an adult, you know, it was like it was like years and years of anxiety building up. And then when I got that therapy and I could release, it was totally different. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, but when you're a veteran, like your traumatic experience comes to you when you're already kind of an adult and you think you know what normal is and you, you are changed and yeah. you feel that difference. It's not like you grew up being kind of weird, right? Um, <laughs> Whoa, that's like blowing my mind right now. What? Yeah. So yeah. like, a, it's not just that you had a traumatic experience. And I don't want to say it's better to have your traumatic experience when you're a kid and can't remember. Like, that's not good. That's terrible yeah. to have your no, life shaped all, by it's that. It's all terrible equally, but yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's not a good thing. But sometimes I kind of look at these guys. I'm like, well, at least I don't know any different. <laughs> 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 There's no, like, rupture with my past. Um, it's just yeah. all been there. Um, so, like, when you come into life from this kind of, like, I'm a matcha dude perspective, and then that falls and that fails, right? Um, mm-hmm. then you kind of have to realize like, um, th- these guys feel really isolated because that's not who they were taught to be. And that's not who everyone they're around was taught to be. Um, but guess what you all, you got company and it's women and kids and black people, you know, <laughs> like people of color. And I think there oh, may be, eye opener for them. yeah, I, well, for some folks, it's an eye opener. I think for some folks, it's just a cause of more self-loathing. Oh, we're just be blowing my mind right now. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so I don't know. So in some ways, um, like the veteran community has been super helpful. And, and also in some ways, some people in the veteran community like really kind of want PTSD to be their thing. And it's mm-hmm. my thing. And I'm not going to interface with the fact that this is a thing that happens to all people and their reasons. And maybe I should grapple with those reasons because then we can all oh, help each other with much. their problems. That's too much. Yeah, they can't do that. Yeah, Way they can't much. step yeah. outside of their own head and their own problems. And, yeah. you know again, the isolation is a big part of it. So if you're kind of self-imposing some of that isolation, I suspect that can cause, that can be part of what hurts people so much. Um, yeah, absolutely. So that, that's kind of interesting. So there may be some overlap with the agricultural community and how that works. I don't know. That's just kind of my personal experience with it in, in military yeah, I, communities. I think you're onto something. Yeah, I'm not a yeah. psychologist. I do plants, so... <laughs> you know, part of me is, like, so tempted to go back to college and, like... For, for something in in this field because I just feel like I, it's just there's too much to explore just so much and so varied and it, it's just ripe with it so yeah I, I feel like everyone if they've been working in a certain field for more than five to ten years they're like well technically I do this but I should have been a psychologist I feel like everyone says that okay good I'm not alone again <laughs> yeah, that's that's a thing it turns out we're a mess as a species so you know that's true that's true yeah, so that's, I don't know, any any thoughts and stories that you may want to kind of come in with uh, from the ag side of that? Because that was military, but... So I, th- I think with, with mental health and agriculture, it, it is getting better. Because um, some of the really well-known um, leaders in agriculture, some with the really popular podcasts and writers and whatnot, mm-hmm. they have started talking about it and, and talking about it seriously. And, you know, it's resonating because I think in agriculture, a lot of us are suffering as well. Um, you know, it's... Growing up in this industry, in this world, you know, you see some pretty, at least in my livestock experience from a small child, I saw some pretty, like, you know, violent, horrific things. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, just by the nature of what, you know, animal agriculture, man. Yeah. You know, we're going to We're going to talk gross livestock stories soon, but we'll finish oh. the story. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, horses, <laughs> your, your childhood horse can slip and break its leg right in front of you, and that you're going to see that. And yeah. You know, and I think in agriculture, a lot of it was like, well, you know, it happened, toughen up. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen again. And it wasn't, in, you know, exploring those, you know, horrific feelings and, and the subsequent anxiety wasn't right. something that was encouraged, really. Right, yeah. I mean, even like, I, I remember getting bucked off my pony and breaking an arm, and I had to get mm. back on that pony and, and continue the cattle drive. I was mm. four. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> what is a four-year-old doing like that's useful in a cattle drive if i can ask is that a bad question oh no i had a pony i was as soon as as soon as i was able to ride i had my own horse and for the most part um you know i was an extra hand i would follow behind the cows and that's actually quite useful yeah, just make sure there are none of them breaking out the back exactly well okay. then, then i got a pony because like every kid should have a pony it's kind of like a popular way of thinking mm-hmm. but ponies are the devil and when i got yeah. that pony i 
I got bucked off and hurt more on that pony than I did on the horse before, which is like this old ranch horse that would just, yeah. you know, stop if he felt me like falling or anything. Oh, and that's this, nice. Yeah, this pony was like out to get me. Like he would try and like go under trees and things and get my, <laughs> my brains caught. And get me hanging by my hair. I mean, this pony was evil. Ponies are terrible people. It's true. Yeah. No, they're, they're awful. <laughs> Amazing. But, yeah, I mean, mental health. It, I mean, I remember when I was a lot younger, when I was a small child. I feel like I went to a lot of um, funerals for suicide, like all yeah. the time. Eek. Yeah, and now it's gotten it's gotten a lot better. Um, actually, I did a podcast once, and you know somebody listened to it, and and I think it really helped them deal with some issues and, and perhaps saved them. Um, yeah. So when when I heard that story, it really inspired me just to keep talking because it's needed. That's like we great. need to normalize this. That's great. Yeah, it's always yeah. good to feel like you're you're actually getting something done, right? <laughs> yeah, and especially it was it was kind of crappy because I did get some blowback, and yeah. like it was actually people I knew in real life. Mm-hmm. They they would would use the fact that I I was crazy mm-hmm. against me, and mm-hmm. they would actually send emails or talk to my dad or whatever. Nice, and that hurt. I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you. That's like a shitty thing to do. Yeah. Um, but then I would hear stories where people, you know, like that, or people would actually DM me or call me or see me out in public and yeah. be like, pull me aside and just say, thank you. Yeah. So after that happened multiple times, it really, like, I decided I wasn't going to shut up ever. Right. Suck it, haters. Yeah. <laughs> like it just, and then I, the more haters I got, the more I was, like, realizing it touched a nerve. Yeah. Because it's it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's the same thing with talking about sexism in ag right now. It's like I'm touching a nerve because people are upset. Yeah. And it kind of makes me want to do it more because that's kind of my personality. <laughs> Amazing. So I, if I understand correctly, you're 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 single? And I am. Is, is that a surprise? No, 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 no. Like um it's <laughs> because uh, both in my civilian life with non-farmers and then in agriculture, you kind of see marriages where you're like, maybe you didn't need to do that. Um, <laughs> and I that's have, okay. I've come so close to doing that like so many yeah. times and like I, I I haven't. I haven't gotten married. And at this point in my life, like I'm stoked. Yeah. Like, I, I think I made the right choice. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and then I, I may be treading into sensitive ground here, but again, when you're working with audits and you kind of, you know, uh, you're getting especially when you're working with some of these mom and pops, like the, we'll start with the ones that worked well, right? Um, there uh-huh. was this one in particular where the husband and wife clearly got along like really well. Um, and uh-huh. it was funny. He didn't actually grow up on a farm. He grew up picking fruit for his uncle um, and kind of had to build everything himself. And I've kind of found that at least in produce, there's a real tendency for folks who built the farm themselves to be just operating at a way higher level than folks who kind of just kind of like took over from dad. Um, uh-huh. at least in produce, I don't know. Um, especially sons who took over from dad. Like, uh, you'll actually see a lot of sons in law taking over from dad. I don't know if, is that a thing in beef as well? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Most of them have sons and it feels like the sons usually are the ones that are preferred over the sons in law. Yeah. Yeah. In produce, yeah. there's a lot of passing on to son-in-laws. There was actually this one farm I audited once. They were like, yep, that's the fourth generation we're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah and they're like it works great and they like the dad was like legitimately training his son-in-law like there was formalized passage of knowledge he was like investing in this guy and training him and i was like i love you guys this is fantastic that's, that's cool yeah. yeah and then like the times when i've seen it go to daughters that the farm tended to operate pretty well because that's not really a default thing to happen in life so you know there was some thought that went into it right yeah yeah um and the ones that passed straight on to a son like we don't we don't need to talk about them today <laughs> like oh, I'm, I'm sure there yeah I, I, yeah uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm sure there are times when I happened that it worked well but it's a little bit more of a default move in life and default tends to you know not strain out not go well yeah, yeah. Things that, no, I was just thinking about that today because I'm a woman and I'm a daughter taking over and I've been thinking of the previous generations of the ranches yeah. and how they've expanded and changed and, like, I was thinking, what's going to be my legacy when I take over? Yeah. Because some of the legacies, are, I don't know, haven't been great. Like, ranches have been lost and stuff, and that's really yeah. sad. So yeah. I decided that I'm going to build it back up again. Right. And, um, and I just, I don't know, that's my challenge, and I want to do better because I'm the daughter, and I'm going to inherit. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You kind of have to prove yourself more. <laughs> like, again, it's not a default move, so you have to prove that it was a good idea. 
Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's just, yeah, well, I mean, it is their default. They don't really have a choice because yeah. I'm the only child. Yeah. But I just, I, I want to, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just want to go above and beyond. Like, there are cousins and stuff that would like it, but they're not, I, I have them beat because I'm the direct line. And it, that <laughs> nice. matters. So I'm just like, yeah. So, so good. Oh. <laughs> I, I re- yeah, I really want to prove myself. And also, like, I, it kind of bums me out that I feel the need I need to prove myself. But yeah. You I know, have a it, drive to. Yeah, it beats complacency, honestly. It, it's good. It's it's yeah. You're okay. Good. All right. Um, yeah. but yeah. So there was this there was this one couple I remember like really clearly because they were like they clearly got along really well, mm-hmm. um, and like it, it was kind of one of those classic divisions of labor where he does like the field and out in the operation stuff, and she did like she ran the packing house. So they actually had a packing house, which a lot of produce operations don't. Um, so they're going up the value chain and, and chasing that money, which is how you take care of yourself, right? So uh-huh. they're, they're already operating at that level. So she runs the packing house and, you know, like all the books and business stuff. And he was okay with it. He didn't have to pretend like he was running all that stuff and she was just helping out. He was totally okay with it. Um, all right. Yeah. Just such a difference, right? And then, you know, we're kind of going through the audit and just like checking off stuff. And they, they were quick because they knew where everything was. And, um, you know, he had all the info for, like, the field-related questions, like pesticide sprays and, and, like, fertilizer applications and stuff like that. And when it was something in the area that she handled, like, she would just answer the question, like, without looking at him to be like, is it okay to talk? Um, which happens oh, a lot. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah. And he would just sit back and be like, yep, that's my girl. Like, he was into it. And it was so adorable. And, Aww. yeah weirdest thing the farm functioned really well and they were making a lot of money so crazy you know see i i would get married to a man like that yeah like I, if I, I could find a man like that right i think we all would right yeah uh, right <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like uh so that was you know you kind of look at that relation like they really kind of built a strong farm like on the strength of their relationship right so that was like yeah. a beautiful thing to see and they they built that themselves they didn't you know, kind of like take it over from somebody. They had to build that whole thing themselves. And it was, it was just them. And that's a lot it, right? of work. Yeah. It was, it was a few decades in the making, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's like, I have a lot of respect for people that do that because it's, it's, it's hard. Incredibly hard. It's hard. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was just kind of cool to watch that. And like he, he came up from picking fruit up, up into running his own operation. Um, that's, that's beautiful. Like I want to see a movie about that. Like that's, right? make that movie. I know. I was kind of like making hurt eyes and just kind of like, tell me more, you guys. Um, (laughs) so they, they were super cool. And, and, you know, when they got together, it wasn't like there was a farm to deal with. So they actually married each other, like for each other, for sure. You know, it wasn't like, I like the farm life. She liked him, you know, and vice versa. Um, so I don't, I don't know like the life story of a lot of folks, but you get the impression every once in a while by the way folks talk about agriculture when you're talking about the audit and the farm that there's kind of like there's dynasties at play and you have to like keep land in the family or like not keep it in the family. But like um, like the farmers tend to marry other farmers for like lifestyle and like understanding what we're doing reasons. But there's also a bit of like keeping land kind of stuff going on, at least in some regions. Am I wrong? Oh, yeah. No, I, I've. I came close. I dated a neighbor once, and I think everybody was just like, oh, yes, the merging of these families will be a beautiful thing. And it didn't work out. (laughs) And you disappointed them all. Yeah, it was pretty heartbreaking for everybody. (laughs) 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 Dang it. But yeah, like. I was was cool. I mean, I was 18, so, you know. Oh, yeah. Mm, Girl, no, no, mm, no. Yeah, my mom now talks about it, and she was like, I was mortified. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, Mom, you know, why didn't you tell me that? Right. You're like, that was some Game of Thrones nonsense. I don't yeah, see that like, again. I knew would have married him. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. Amazing. But yeah, like sometimes you, you, especially after seeing couples where they just click really well like that, like you kind of uh-huh. work with other ones and you're like, did they marry each other for the land? <laughs> you know? Oh, you know what? I'll be honest with you. Like, yeah. if I could find like a mechanic slash carpenter slash you know like somebody that had really good health insurance <laughs> like you know marriage of convenience man that'd be great i'd Maybe great you. hunting yeah i was like well subjects are into that let me <laughs> let me put one out for marrying for love because uh, <laughs> when i don't know like i see like both in, again in civilian life with non-farmers and then with like in the farming population i guess like with clients like you'll You'll see folks who married because they, like, you know, had a, a genuine friendship kind of thing going on. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. like, you kind of see some folks who got married because they were like, it's time to get married. Um, or Oh, yeah. The, the, the 
30 year age that's how like i used to all my friends at 30 married married, like all of them yeah um or then like again there may be some like dynastic reasons that it happened like in the background somewhere um yeah and there are fault lines when you do that and like they kind of start to tell on you after a while um yeah so again, like a lot of these these um, these families with the son-in-laws, I think that may be part of why is they're like, hey, we want. It's really important that the f- couple running the farm gets along more than like he already comes in with farm knowledge. Um, yeah, which is why the the families have been doing it for a while are like okay with it and like are really rigorous about like coaching this guy because, you know, like he may not come from a farming background, but he brings in a lot of other skills. Like this one family, I think the son-in-law had been doing trucking for a long time. Um, so he, you know, came in with some logistics and like, I know how shipping works skills, um, yeah. which can be useful. And oh, heck yeah. they're like, we already know how to farm. We can teach you that, you know? Um, but it, like the big thing that was prioritized is like, you guys need to get along. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well now I think in ag people are seeing the repercussions of that. Like there are some big, been some big messy divorces and like yeah. these guys are losing chunks of their ranches. <gasps> Yeah. <laughs> well, like, what does that do for yeah. mental health when you have uh, a community where, you know, a certain percentage of the marriages are kind of made up of, I don't want to say convenience, but like for dynastic reasons? Um, yeah. Like, how does that help your mental health when the person, like your most intimate relationship was kind of like, eh, you know, we kind of get along, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's not a healthy way to live. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. It, I, I mean, yeah. that's why there's a lot of like mental health problems in agriculture. I mean, we don't talk, we haven't classically talked about it, but it, you know, it's there and then there's undercurrents and, you yeah. know, we, you see, you, you can see your neighbors, you know, things happen, you know, <laughs> gossip happens. Yeah, it does that it does. And then, you know, and it's like, you know, then there's the whole undercurrent of like the drugs and alcohol abuse. Yeah. And those things happen in agriculture. You know, you yeah. show me a back of a pickup truck without a few empty cores lights in it and. Right. Well, I dare you to show me that. <laughs> They're always clean when I show up. That's a nice thing <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> about being yeah. an auditor. You always see them on nice, really nice behavior. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's that's. I feel like that's got to be something that's going to come into play with mental health. And it's not like people who don't farm don't have marriages of convenience. Like that's that's universal. Yeah, um, yeah. But agriculture is a little unique in that it can be kind of isolating already. And then again, that's your most intimate relationship. Um, yeah. And that can be really challenging. Yeah, I mean, I have, like, family, I'm kind of like the family historian, so there's definitely stories of, you know, very interesting, um, at the time, you know, I, who was, uh, I I guess everybody's dead, so I guess I can talk about it. Cool. Um, yeah, yeah, right? Okay. (laughs) My husband's, yeah. um, My husband's a historian, and he's like, we're just gossips (laughs) with dead people, it's fine. Exactly, and, like, um, you know, I had uncles or great great uncles or family members excuse me i won't out them whatever um <laughs> but, like i have guilt like I, it's yeah. not my secret to tell but i guess they're dead okay all right all right cool. okay i'm justified now. i'm justified <laughs> <laughs> yeah well they were you know they were gay and they yeah. weren't able to be open about it mm, yeah. and i'm the one that's inherited all the family pictures and there's envelopes that just say you know ex's friends and you go through these pictures mm. and obviously they're not, you know, they're, they're lovers and they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're companions and they're, they're in love. Right. And, and, you know, these same people also died very young. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, they were they did not live happy lives. You can read the diaries of, of, you know, uncle X, you know, is crying again or had it had an episode. Yeah. They just wore out fast. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, it's a, it's a toxic way to live. Yeah. Um, or, you know, or people that were forced, you know, forced to marry and have kids mm-hmm. because they could not be gay. Right. It was not acceptable. Yeah, we, we got some. Die. Yeah, we got some of that in my fam. It went great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everyone handled no, it, it so it, well. It happens. Yeah, and I think that's going through my family tree and, like, meeting other, you know, family members that I should know, but I don't because obviously there was a big knockdown drag out at some point mm-hmm. and uncle, great uncle X did not talk to aunt, great aunt, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you find the stories and you know what happened and it's been really interesting, but it really, you know, it sheds a lot of light on one, why there was so much dysfunction in, in my own family and, and the farming side. Yeah. Isn't it fascinating when you finally get old enough to really kind of piece together all your family's dirt and you're like, wow, there's yeah. just so much here. 
and like the things I lived through and didn't know because the adults, you know, kind of kept it from me, but you knew Mm -hmm. something was going on. Yeah. That stuff blew my mind. Oh man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need to get into it here, but we'll just, we'll all kind of nod and stroke our chins and go, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We've all been there. We all, we all know what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Oh man. The good stuff. Oh. Yeah. No, it's funny because it's like you were saying earlier, like ag things were pristine. Like, you know, mm-hmm. our shit does not stink if mm-hmm. you will. Yeah. Um, but we all have these little dirty secrets. I mean, every ranch and we've all gossiped about it. Like, cause we're all related and we've all mm-hmm. intermarried and right. you know, that was kind of the joke. I, I told myself, I was like, I can't get married from this County, anybody from this County and in, in California because I'm related to them in more than one way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that ain't good. Yeah. So no, that was a, a challenge. I, w- I grew up Mormon. Uh, my mom's mm-hmm. side of the family is like old school, like, you know, polygamous, polygamous Mormons. Um, and I went to BYU and dating was a challenge. Like I found out my roommate was my third cousin, you know? Um, (laughs) yeah, good stuff. So, I mean, that was, that was not uncommon because again, you had just 150 years ago, these giant polygamous families. So everybody is related and there's a lot of autoimmune disease problems as a result and just random stuff. So, oh yeah. So I'm all about, you know, like keeping it fresh, right? Like, (laughs) Let's try. No, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have a kid. Like, I need somebody from not from around here. Right. (sighs) Travel is good. Travel is good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. Is it time for gross animal stories yet? I I have some. Speaking of inbreeding, I think it's time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, inbreeding and animals. Oh, Oh, dear. There was something about a two headed calf. I don't know how much that's actually like uh, like inbreeding related, but. Yeah. I actually, that's a funny story. So I saw a two-headed calf be born as a small child. And mm. that was something that stayed with me. Like, it, it was a memory. And then, yeah. and then my great aunt had it stuffed and mounted. Nice. So in high or junior high, like in the science class, we were talking about, you know, reproduction and inbreeding and whatnot. <laughs> and, and being the... The share the storyteller, let's say I am. Yeah. I went ahead and shared that story. Yeah. And at the time it was cool, but then like again, being the storyteller I am and the historian, uh, um, like in the 1800s, a meteorite had landed on the ranch I live on, somewhere <laughs> behind the house. So by the time I was in high school, the story had morphed into the meteorite landed on a cow and it had a two-headed calf. Mm-hmm. And then when I graduated high school, they did senior wills. So this thing, this story followed me from seventh grade to high school. Yeah. And then when I graduated, that my senior, or what they predicted I would do when I grew up was uh, start a implement a breeding program for shredded calves. Yeah. So I mean that's capture that magic. It's a thing, and it followed me forever. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and yeah. now it's a story I tell on podcasts. That's great. Yeah. So all of my gross animal stories come from, I worked at a veterinary hospital for Oh, you have good stories. Oh, man. So the beautiful thing about working at a vet hospital, again, kind of like veteran PTSD, is it happens to you as an adult, not a child. <laughs> and you know why it's happening. I work at a veterinary hospital. That's why there's guts everywhere. Um, oh, man. Uh, I... So they had me doing two things. It was serology, so like blood tests, and then parasitology, which is basically combing through poop to find things. That's um, so cool. Oh, it was great. You know, it was a living. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like the weird stuff would happen when you left the lab because we would just get samples like on a, on a dish, right, for the most part. Uh-huh. Um, I did get so – we were just down the hall from the necropsy lab. Um, oh, that's even cooler. Yeah, and whoever designed the hospital built the air intake for our section of the hospital right at the exhaust fan for the necropsy lab. So, like... That's messed up. That's terrible planning, right? Um, yeah. So, like, you knew when they got something juicy in there, and we'd be like... Oh. <laughs> we just kind of look up and go, like, in about 45 minutes, we're going to get something crazy in this room. But right now, we're just going to smell it. Um, oh, dear. Yeah, so that was cool. Um Let's see. It, it, it wasn't just cats and dogs. Like, there was a lot of agricultural vet. And Florida's actually a big racehorse territory because... Huge, yeah. Yeah, because the jockey clubs got this thing where, like, horses' birthdays is all January 1st for whatever year they're in, right? Uh-huh. Um, so you want to have your colts as big as possible for the big race, which means they have to be born on January 2nd, basically. Um, if they're born on, like, December 31st, it's, just, it's a disaster because that means they're a very tiny baby born that year and they're going to be, like, underweight and stuff like that at the racing classes. Uh-huh. Um, 
So you want to have them born basically January 1st or 2nd. And if you have a full born at New Year's in Kentucky, it's going to get cold. So... <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Yeah. So they send all the mares down here to, to do foaling. Um, and there's there's racing industry here as well. Like there's a big equine like blood doping lab and stuff like that that was unrelated to us. But wow. Um, yeah, so we did a lot of equine medicine, which, as you know, involves a lot of euthanasia. Um, so, uh-huh. <laughs> oh man. So typically, our story of horse euthanasia, horse euthanasia ends when we euthanize the horse. But you're like, no. Now there's a 900 pound corpse, um, and that's where our journey begins. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, it's be good. Yeah. So like sometimes you know why it died, like it broke a leg. Um, uh-huh. sometimes they're sick and it's a big money horse and the owner wants to find out what went wrong so they can hopefully not have that with the rest of the herd. Um, so we got to do necropsy. And so sometimes the necropsy room would just be really busy. And so they'd have a sample they want us to do and they just call us and say, come pick it up. So you walk into this room and you're like, Oh God, what's it going to be like today? Um, <laughs> but like your first step in horse necropsy is you just run it through the bandsaw. Right. Um, <laughs> This might be too much. Well, I don't know. We'll see. Oh, um, this is great. This is part of it. I love it. Yeah. So that's step one is you run it through the bandsaw yeah. and then you only need half of it. Um, so you chuck half of it like in the in the lye decomposer to dissolve and then kind of like throw it in the, in, in the wastewater. But the other half you got to hang on to until you're ready to do necropsies. So they'd hang it from the ceiling from a meat hook. Um, so you're As like, one does. Yeah. Like, like you do. Yeah. So you just walk in yeah. and you're yeah. like picking up my urine sample. Da, da, da. Hello, ponies. Um, and so like in... Like, nothing stays completely still when it's hanging right, so they'd, like, slowly rotate. And so, like, when it's the outside of the horse facing you, you're, like, weird, but that is recognizably a pony. Like, grass, little girls, apples, it's fine. And then it slowly rotates, and you're, like, it's a Saw movie! And they're, like, all doing that from the ceiling. It was great. Um, So that was... Oh, that's that kind of that. disturbing. That's like horror movie. Like I would like to see that in a horror movie. Yeah, that was. I, yeah, so that's that's an option of things that can happen professionally. Um, <laughs> oh. So like the the folks working in that room full time were like, I, I think they had an interesting life. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think you'd have to. Yeah. Yeah. That was. Maybe like uh, cows that get rattlesnake bites. Oh yeah. Yeah, and they get big abscesses, and you oh, have to yeah. plant them. Nice. How do cows so, like that? You know, actually, once it happens, they, they dig it because it feels good, yeah. you know, to eat all that out. But yeah. at the same time, like, that's a lot of pus, man. Yeah, like the lead up, they're really nervous, too. They're like, no, don't touch me. Yeah, they don't like it. Like, because they, they don't feel good. And, you yeah. know, it hurts. Yeah. And then you, you rinse it out and you give them antibiotics. But, you know, sometimes it comes back. I mean, it's yeah. it's foul. There's just a lot of there there. So are we talking, like, we talking cups? We talking, like, half gallons? I have to oh, ask. Oh, like... It's, you know, there's definitely like a gallon, I'd say, once. I mean, wow. it just kept coming out. Nice. You know, better up in. Yeah, it was, it was gross, man. <laughs> it, I felt so bad for her, but then like when she walked out of the chute, she was just like, oh, yeah. You could tell she was feeling lighter in her feet and all that stuff. Yeah, like she could walk better. She was more mobile. Like she oh, dug it. But like, great. it was just, you know, that's rattlesnakes, man. They're serious. Yeah, they don't mess around. Wow. Uh-uh, uh-uh good stuff i know i have some good ones like i've been oh you know i've like had you know how we have baby a baby calf and sometimes yeah. they'll die yeah and it's unfortunate but it's part of it yeah but if you can find an extra baby calf like if you have a twin mm-hmm. you can you can trick the mom into accepting that baby and a lot of times what you'll do is you'll skin the dead baby yeah and put the, the calf hide on the new baby because so it smells, smells right. smells yeah so but sometimes if you don't catch it that dead baby will sit in the sun all day oh no and then it and it stinks, but you still have to do it because you want this graph to work because right. that's, you know, it's going to save you a lot of money. Yeah. So that happened to me once and I got it up and I was skinning it and I was talking to my dad and I flicked, um, that dead baby calf that had been out in the sun all day, skin in my mouth. And it was really gross. Ooh. So nice. that's, that's, a, that's one of my favorite gross stories. Nice. Yeah. Okay. I vomited. Oh uh, yeah. That sounds about right. That's cool. Yeah. 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 I have a really, for being like a, an ag check, like. I really do not have a strong stomach. I will vomit yeah. like that. It's oh, really embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Oh, yeah. do, you, do you want to hear one about tapeworms or about a dumpster full of animal parts? Oh, I love tapeworm stories. Oh, okay. So this one's, it's pretty short. So in Florida, this is pre-real estate crash, right? So you had a bunch of folks who were like, I want to retire in Florida. And I also want to raise alpacas when I retire. Not really realizing that maybe like these two goals are incompatible. Um <laughs> 
I'm already like loving the story. Like this is gonna be great. Right. So like alpacas like to catch the readers up or the listeners, uh, they're from the Andes, right? So they come from really high, dry, cold desert. So they have a lot of wool and they don't have a lot of parasite resistance because they live in a place where it's cold and dry and there's a lot of UV radiation because they're so high altitude, so like parasite eggs die immediately. Um so they just don't have an immune system that's built for that the way like cows do. So there's a lot of folks who are like, I want to raise alpacas in Florida. <laughs> um, so we would get a lot of alpacas at that hospital. And uh, one of the things you want to do standard is just check them for parasites because they're almost always going to have a bad problem, right? Um, so there's this one alpaca that had died and they bring something from the necropsy room and they're like, here's some alpaca poop. Uh, you know, they want you to look for coccidia, which are, are like a microscopic protozoa. And you gotta, you gotta take the poop, smear it on a slide and look at it under the microscope and like, cool. And the guy goes, by the way, when we saw that alpaca open, it was white inside. Like it had so many parasites. They'd like sucked all the blood out. It was crazy anemic. Oh no. Yeah. So I'm like, cool. And then I, I pick up the cup and I look in it and the feces is like half tapeworms. And <sighs> like, just, just, just in the cup. Right. And I'm like, what was it you wanted me to look for again? Because I think I found your problem. <laughs> the vet suspected it may have both at the same time, you know, but you're like, oh, I think I see what's going on here. Yeah. Um, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. And I don't get why people are, like, anti, like, deworming. Because there's, like, the whole anti-vaccination movement. Like, people yeah. are like, I don't want my meat to have any vaccinations. And, like, that's trust not- me. You do. Yeah, the cow wants it, though. Well, that's the thing is, like, um, I think folks don't realize, like, uh, intestinal worms, like, around the time that a cow is calving, it knows that there's about to be a fresh victim to go into. And so the worms will actually release larvae into the cow's blood, and they'll go into the milk. Um, So if you don't deworm your cow, you have worm milk, which is pretty cool. Um, No, nobody wants that. Yeah. Nobody wants that. I mean, I think there may be a niche market, but in general, yeah. Um, (laughs) It's going to be in California, actually, probably. Yeah. But like, so when you have a cup full of tapeworms, you're just like really excited (laughs) about it. And so you have to show all your colleagues and they're not impressed. Uh, (laughs) That's not something everybody gets excited about. Yeah. Like I was the one parasite person in the lab um, and the other folks were all like microbiologists. So they did Petri dishes. And so like they have to sample and and swab a lot of really gross stuff. So like they think they're badass. And I was like, guys, look at this. And they're like, my God, get that out of here. Um, (laughs) So they weren't impressed. I had a, an event or a dinner with some colleagues who were doing food safety research, and we went to an Italian restaurant, and they all ordered fettuccine, and I was like, I'm getting the gnocchi, because I know there's about to be a tapeworm story. <laughs> so that was fun. Uh, the end. That was yeah, a good one. Yeah, you know, tapeworms make you look at spaghetti differently. They do. Fettuccine, yeah, it's it's not yeah. the same afterwards. Yeah. and it's, it's fine. You just got to know, like, I'm, I'm down with a gnocchi now. Yeah, you know, you're right. I've noticed how I've been kind of going away from the stringy pastas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They ch- now that you mention it. <laughs> Worms change you, man. Oh, gross. Yeah, no, they def- it's just so gross. Mm-hmm. I love hearing the stories, though. Oh, yeah, that's that's a podcast for another time. My husband was like, honey, if a story starts with one time at the vet hospital, I need you to stop. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, good times. Uh, yeah, he's a nice boy. It's fine. Uh, so that's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's gross animal stories. Yeah, no, I know I have more, but like, it's so normal to me. It's just like, ah, another day. Yeah, let's let's do one more. Um, do, oh, do you want to hear a gross one about an eagle? Yeah, that sounds amazing. Eagles, yeah, eagles are gross. Come to find out, like they're oh, yeah. you know, like they'll take advantage of an easy meal. Yeah, because like. So we, uh, we have, when we cab out our cattle, it's up in Indian Valley, and it's beautiful. It's high Sierra, uh, Sierra, Sierra Nevada mountains. Mm-hmm. So it's a little valley, and the eagles know all the cows are calving, and they'll come mm-hmm. up behind the cows and eat the afterbirth. And mm-hmm. really, they make a really good living there for a couple months. Mm-hmm. And it's neat. Like, I'll admit, like, I, I walk around, like, with my big camera. I'm like, oh, wow, eyeball the eagle. <laughs> eat that mess. That's right. Yeah, yeah. This one heifer, like, calved out, but she was, like, a serious mom. Like, mm-hmm. you are not going to get near her. You are not going to get near her baby. Like, mm-hmm. not going to happen. Right. Well, this eagle's like, I want your afterbirth. <laughs> <laughs> get out of the way. And wow. this eagle jumped in the or this cow jumped on the middle of the eagle. 
Wow. And started doing a little dance on the eagle, and then all of her little heifer friends came over and started kicking at it and stuff. I mean, it oh, was wow. brutal. Wow. Yeah. I, I know, right? The eagle was not okay, I take it. No, no, no. Okay. So my dad, like, sees it happen and is like, oh, crap, you know, here, hold my beer. And, um, <laughs> like, gets a tarp and, like, goes down there and, like, saves the eagle, wraps it up in the tarp, calls the biologist, like, come get it, like, rehabilitate it, turn it back out into the wild. But then after this, that heifer was always known as Eagle Stomper Cow. Makes sense. Like, and yeah. She, yeah, and she has, like, babies now that's, like, Eagle Junior. Hmm. And, you know, so it's, like, this wow. whole line. But it's just, like, one of those stories that people are just like, no way. Eagles don't eat after birth. Heck, yeah, they do. Have you seen them in a dumpster? They love that stuff. Like, they just love garbage, you know? So that makes sense. Amazing. Wow, I think oh, that's, yeah. a, that's a great note to close out on, I think. Okay, good. Yeah, good <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you for your time. Uh, oh, super, you. super useful. I always like to fact check. Like, I, I have impressions, but I like to fact check them with people who, like, you know, actually work on farms. It's very good. Yeah. No, you're you're right on the money. It's just, I think ag's just very dysfunctional. That's just all I have to say about us. Yeah. And, like, I don't want to talk too much shit because I get a lot of a lot of flack for it. But, like, you know, we can do better. Yeah. Well, like, everything is dysfunctional, and, and ag is included in that. And I think, again... Yeah. The food movement really kind of sells this, like, but bag is pristine. Like, this is the safe place. And I feel like a lot of consumers really kind of need the idea that there's something pure and pristine out there. And they project a lot of that need onto agriculture. Um, you know, you're so right. Because yeah. people are always trying to send me their kids to come work out here. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I'm like, this is not a safe place. Like, no. emotionally, physically, like, this is not a place you <laughs> want your kids to be right now. Emotionally, phys- just put that in the note back. Like, this is not an emotionally safe place. Yeah. And, like, they do not believe me. And it's just, like, dude, like, cause my dad's, like, a, a, an alcoholic and he's mean. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's, he's going downhill rapidly. And that's yeah. what I'm dealing with right now. Oh, that's rough, man. And it's just, you know, it's a hot mess. And, I mean, and I don't want these kids anywhere near him. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah there's but- just... Yeah, it's just like the rest of life where just a lot of dysfunction. And, and again, I kind of wish we understood that a little bit more when we're, when we're formulating policy. Um, yeah. Is that a lot of the dysfunction is self-inflicted. And you can't fix that with subsidies. You know what I mean? No. <laughs> All you can do is make it worse, really. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wish I could... I don't know, I wish I could help more, but, like, all I can do is just talk about sexism and all this shit and everything I'm going through. Yeah. But and what I'm health. going through right now is maybe not want to talk about, like, like without what I'm going through with my dad, just because it is personal, and these people are using it against me, so I'm just kind of yeah. like, you know what? Fuck you, then. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good place to be in. Um, yeah. So. You know, I, I think a lot of guys in ag don't worry about, well, they do worry about what people think about them to some degree, um, and, and sometimes excessively, like the big shiny truck syndrome, you know what I mean? Um, oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. With the balls hanging off the back? Yeah, but they don't worry too hard about whether they're good enough, you know what I mean? No, no. And we do, <laughs> like, yeah. It's, yeah. God, yeah. No, this yeah. has been a very enlightening talk. I really appreciate oh, it. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm always open for... I'm a doctor of plant medicine, which is technically a veterinarian for crops. So, you know, I always... That's somebody... amazing! Yeah, so not a licensed therapist for humans, but, um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's so cool, though. Like, I, I, I did the animal science, and now that, like, I'm, like, an avid, like, plants are really cool, I wish I would have not done so much animal science. No, it's okay. That's fine. So, Somebody's got to so... eat the plants. Yeah. it's just it's cool it's cool with whatever you don't do is cool so that's that's where i'm at right now yeah same i'm like i should have learned more about bookkeeping anyway <laughs> on that note <laughs> well thank you so much that's it for farm to Tabor. and because i know somebody's wondering when we say bandsaw the horse in half that's left and right not front and back and also a quick correction they probably actually keep both halves of the horse to look at and put them in the light digester when they're done because you gotta be thorough And uh, that's it for today. If you're still listening to this, you came for the mental health and stayed for the horrifying veterinary escapades. And on that note, Farm to Tabor's signing off. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Special thanks to Revolutionary Coworking in Fayetteville, North Carolina for recording space and to Lauren Harris for audio production. 